Please be seated. This morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to start at the end of chapter 3 and read just a few verses into chapter 4 if you want to find that on your own. If not, that's fine too. I'm going to read it, but I want to at least give you an opportunity to follow along. Starting in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3 which probably, as the heading in your Bible tells you, is the baptism of Jesus, and then rolling into the temptation. And I use the headings too, so that's very all right. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray and ask for his help in these next few minutes. Indeed, we do ask for your help. Help me not just to preach, not just to be your vessel, as important as that is, to be your mouthpiece this morning, but also to receive this as manna as life, that we would all come to experience and know you better as a result of hearing your voice in Scripture and even miraculously in the sermon, that we would sit and be with you, Jesus, and that we would feed on all that you offer us here. I pray that you would overcome our doubts, our fears, our, our, our distractions, and instead that we would have this rich fellowship which we need, that you would pierce to the very joint and the marrow of our consciousness and our understanding of who we are and what we need in relationship with you such that we might be filled and have life. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The French poet Charles Baudelaire said that the finest trick that the devil ever accomplished was convincing us that he did not exist. Now, you might assess, well, the devil's been pretty successful in our time and our age because it seems like not a lot of people necessarily believe in him. But according to Scripture, and especially in the first century as we see here, the finest trick 
that the devil achieved, his chief office, his chief purpose is actually to tempt, to seduce, and most importantly, to split relationships. And in particular, what the devil wants to split is the relationship between Jesus and the Word, the gifts of God and the people of God in the life of the people. The devil wants to do this in Jesus' life, and he wants to do that in your life as well. He wants to cause a kind of doubt that would cause a rupture. Now, we know that, especially from this passage, doubt, and and, and other passages in Scripture, that doubt is the classic lever of temptation against us. That, that, that he will use this as a wedge, that if, if God's word somehow can be seen as doubtful and unsure, if, if God's gifts, like the gift of baptism and the grace that comes with it because of what God has promised in it, are somehow uncertain, then what are we going to do? We will seek out other options for seeing how it is that we stand with God. And that is the hinge issue That God is wanting to hammer home, right? We're hearing the hammering. That God is wanting to hammer home to us this morning. Will we trust in what God has given us? Or will we go about another way of trying to achieve, to earn what God has already promised to us? Now, I said that doubt is the lever. And and we actually live in an age of doubt, a, a, a time when doubt is kind of cool, very seductive. It's just very plausible. It's, 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 um, doubt, doubt is this kind of privileged ignorance that folks are allowed to prate around. We're not really sure that any conviction can be sure and settled, except the sure and settled conviction that no convictions can be sure and settled. So it's this kind of doubt that we privilege and we don't have to land anywhere. Likewise, the, the, the question that's put before us is, can we really trust in God and what he says about us, about what he has done for us in Christ? Or do we doubt and do we go on to pursue in self-reliance and independence our own means of achieving what God has given us? That's really the hinge of all the action and the drama. Are we going to listen to God and believe in him and trust in him? Or are we just going to kind of rest and go our own way? Well, this is highlighted, this, this, this very kind of temptation to doubt is highlighted in the first temptation of Christ. And I would say it's a temptation to sensationalism. Now, I don't mean sensational in the way like we think, oh, did you hear what Kanye West said? You know, that, that kind of sensationalism. I mean, sensationalism in the sense that um, it speaks to our senses, right? Because Jesus is hungry. He's feeling something in this point, uh, at this point, uh, the speaking to a sensationalism that's common to all of our life, this pressure to kind of go with our feelings, what it is that we sense, what it is that we see instead of uh, understand by faith, and a, a, a tendency to even lean in our senses to doubt God's word and to doubt God's gift. Well, how do we see that? Just kind of reading into the beginning of chapter four, what's the question that's put to Christ? And it really gets to the hub of his identity, his purpose, and, and his experience there in the desert. Because what does the evil one tell him? He basically asked, are you really God's beloved son? 
Are you really? Can, can you believe all that stuff that you just heard? Is God's gift of baptism, the baptism that you just received from John and this pouring out of the Spirit that you just received and this declaration of God's love for you, this is my beloved Son, is that really sufficient for God's purposes for you in your life? For us, for example, where there is doubt about God working in our baptism and what God has said about us in baptism, that there is grace, that God loves us, that it is true and objective, that he has declared his love for us, then we are going to search for better assurances, right? In, in, in Texas, where I come from, where there's a, a, a strong tradition, I'm very thankful for the Baptist church, but there are some um, expressions of it where you just kind of keep getting baptized over and over again so that you can kind of get that feeling renewed. And so there will be, you'll meet people who have been baptized multiple times. In fact, I, I'll just be honest, I've been baptized twice, right? Uh, once when I was a baby and then once later when I needed to get it nailed down for sure that I felt right about it. And I understand there's different views on baptism, but I would suggest, I wouldn't even just suggest, I would just say from Scripture that if you're try, using baptism as a crutch to kind of get you to feel something, uh, to, to believe what God has already said about you, then you're going the wrong path. And not only that, not even just this abuse of baptism, but we will look for clearer, like more direct experiences of feeling God, right? It's what Martin Luther said, we want to feel the Holy Spirit, feathers and all. And so there'll be this tendency to, in, in worship, for example, want to have a, a mystical or a higher life experience. And we will idolize a certain certainty instead of resting, trusting, having faith. All right, that's us. Now, Jesus is given an opportunity here for a second experience. To get it nailed down, you, I, I really am God's son, and I'm going to prove it to you, right? He had this opportunity to go to this, to this higher realm, as it were, to do something to prove that he really had achieved what God had already said he had been given. And it was to turn these stones into bread. If you're really the son, then you can do this really cool trick. And let's be honest. We might think, well, that's Jesus, man. He... Any kind of temptation would just roll off him like water off a duck's back. Man, that, that's not a big deal because he is not just man, he is God. And so how could he be tempted? But Jesus was tempted. He had not eaten in a month. Some of you have been sitting here 15 minutes and you're already thinking about lunch, right? And you're just like, oh, I, can't, I can't imagine going another 30 minutes without food. And Jesus had not eaten in a month. And so whenever he is responding to the devil and having this kind of theological, not just kind of a real theological debate, don't hear Jesus speaking in this proper King James kind of voice where he's saying, no, not for me. I'm not going to eat. The Bible is just fine. That is not how Jesus is feeling. That is not what Jesus has been experiencing. You know, on the one hand, it might have even made sense if Jesus had eaten. Because the, the whole thrust of what the book of Matthew is getting at is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Israel's promises. And so he's like a new Moses. And what did Moses do in the desert? Well, by the power of God, he was able through prayer to, to provide for the people of God manna. And so he could have just very easily leaned on 
yeah, I'm going to provide manna in the wilderness. I'm the new Israel. I'm going to feed on that. And in a sense, you almost think, well, shouldn't he? And this, and this is almost another sermon for another time, but I want you to think about this, that very often temptation is not to do something that is wrong in itself, but it's the motive. It's the rationale. It's the reason of the heart that often determines whether you're going to go down the wrong path or you're going to be faithful to the Lord. And here the hinge was, are you really the son of God? Are you really going to believe what God has said about you, Jesus? Jesus is being tempted to prove what is already established, that he is loved, that he is the son, period. Now here's the question, or really here's the challenge to us, the voice of temptation for us, because this isn't something that's unique to Jesus. If we have been baptized, if we are professing faith in Christ, if we are united with him, then we are going to share in Christ's experience on some level of being tempted. And so the voice of temptation for us sounds like what? Because you guys, you will be tempted on some level. I think the voice of temptation will sound like this. Not literally, but it'll be this kind of question. How can you, sitting there so smugly, so self-righteously in this pew, as if you're as good as any of these other people, how can you... Be a child of God. Claim to be a child of God and yet have so many problems. Be so screwed up. Have so many struggles with temptation. Speak like that. Do those kind of things. If you would just simply get rid of those problems, kind of get your life together, spiff up, look like someone who's properly spiritual and Christian and religious. If you would just be proper and successful, then... You, we, right? Then you can believe you're a son of God. That you're a child of the living God. That your relationship with God is square and vital. But until then, uh, we're not really sure about you. you. You really shouldn't be sure about yourself. But I want to tell you, because this is what Jesus is teaching us here. We should beware all arguments, all claims that God's blessing is shown that God's blessing, his declaration of what he has given us freely in Christ is achieved by these external markers of transformation. In other words, it, it, as if you're saying my status as a Christian is proved or earned by finally getting my stuff together, by not struggling anymore, that we are shown to be blessed because we are finally getting things done, that we are radical, that we are active and we are engaged. And I think that's a very real temptation for us, that we, we have to kind of prove ourselves, think that we have to prove or earn ourselves, earn our status that has already been given to us in God. And honestly, a lot of churches, well-intentioned as they are, will sell themselves like this. Look how blessed we are. Look where the Holy Spirit has shown up. Because we have got it going on, right? We, we, we are doing things in the city. We are doing things. And that can all be good and right and wonderful. But you get the cart before the horse. Now maybe you're thinking, well, look, didn't, didn't Jesus say you will know them by their fruit? That there, that there will be some kind of change? That, you know, that you will show, that you will prove that you are disciples by this kind of fruit? But, but what is the fruit? 
Well, we have a thicker explanation of what the fruit is in places like uh, the epistles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, not self-promotion. Those are the evidence that God is at work. And all those come by resting and receiving Christ. And that's what He's calling you to. And then out of that, the transformation comes just naturally as gravity. But you don't have to prove and you don't have to earn. Well, what was Jesus' response? Because this shapes how we respond to. How does Jesus overcome the evil one? Is it with mighty deeds? Dude, I created you, Satan. I'm going to show you up in the desert, right? Just like this mighty showdown. Does he have a, a special word? Does God intervene? Is there some kind of mystical guidance that Jesus gets in the desert? Does he finally decide, I'm going to show the devil who's boss. I'm just going to kick him to Saudi Arabia or, to, or you know, wherever, right? No. There's no special word that Jesus receives. There's no special action. There's no mystical experience. He overcomes the evil one. He overcomes this false temptation to get his identity from what he does instead of what Jesus has done by the word of God. You notice what happens. It's like this battle for the Bible or battle with the Bible. They're just quoting verses back and forth. Uh, you know, and that, that can be a dangerous thing. But here in the hands of the one who breathed out this word, it's life-giving. The word of God, Scripture, Deuteronomy in particular in this case, Scripture which is public and accessible and communal is what rescued Jesus, is what he leaned on in times of temptation. It, weren't, it wasn't his superpowers. It was what God had breathed out for all of us to lean on. And so in times of crisis, in times of emergency, in times of temptation, we don't need a special voice of revelation. We don't need a special feeling to deliver us, to give us insight. Rather... And I'll just be honest, there's too many pastors who do that. God told me to do stuff. Don't just say, you know, through wisdom, we discern this thing. Or we talked with other people and we prayed and we think that God is leading this way. Because then they're basically equating what God told them with Scripture, right? That's, that's so damaging and so false. And it puts a burden on other people to kind of look for that. And you don't have to look for that. You have this. You have one another. You have the Word of God. You see, Scripture, the Bible in community is publicly accessible, right? It's not something that's locked in your head looking for this special word from God or it could be the pizza or it could be the word of God, right? Instead, you have something that you can all appeal to, mediated by the Holy Spirit, read together, prayed with, prayed over together. And Scripture cuts to the joint and the marrow of who we are to help us understand our motivations, to help us understand our context and how it is that we will understand who we are, forgiven, renewed, restored in Christ. So here's the thing, and we're going to land the plane here soon. If Jesus found his way in ministry, if he found his way in temptation by a faithful remembering of Scripture, and not miracles, not voices, not bravado, then you and I cannot do better as we follow the Lord. You see, the deep famine, the deep hunger that we have 
is a famine for the Word of God. It's a hunger for the Word of God, a hunger for Scripture, to be shaped and formed by Scripture. Not, not nerdy, beat people up with Scripture verses to prove you're right and be self-righteous and just kind of shame them, but rather to encounter and know Christ. So there's this wonderful theologian, and, and I know you know it because on the website for your, uh, for your church is a quote from this man, Karl Barth. He said, Jesus does not give, this is not on your website, but this is Karl Barth, right? Jesus does not give recipes that show the way to God as others' teachers of religion do. He himself is the way. And so for us, whenever we see Jesus opening up Scripture, that's an invitation for us to go to Scripture. But Scripture is always the bridge for knowing, knowing and encountering Christ and who you need. And what your identity is, is one who is joined to Christ with all of his benefits of life and love and security and being adopted as God's very son and daughter. Won't you rest in that and look to him? Because he has said about you, even as he said about Jesus, in your baptism, and by your profession of faith. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And that comes by grace as a gift. It is not earned. And as you receive that, wow, your life is transformed. can be. Look to him. Let's pray. Would you please, Father, help us? Would your word, even as we heard throughout the sermon, the knocks and pings and hammers of workmen, we pray that more so would your word, your spirit, using your word, knock and ping and hammer on our conscience, on our self-understanding. Would you expose and even knock through walls that we have built up. Walls in which we try to establish our righteousness, our pleasingness to You. Maybe through what we have done. Look how good I am. Maybe through what we have felt. But just wipe that away, Lord. Show us that it is in Christ alone and by the sure freedom of Your gift the gift of life that you give us in Christ, that we are okay, that we are safe, and that we are free. Help us, we pray. In your great name, amen.